So a couple weeks ago, we started uh, the book of Psalms. <clears throat> and, you know, like we've kind of been talking about, the book of Psalms presents a way for us, even in the midst of maybe exile, to go to a place where God speaks to us. You know, they, they talk about a, a literary sanctuary, a place where we can go and stand before God and know that as we read his words, he's close and he speaks to us. And so today we're going to talk about Psalm 22. Now, to be honest, I went to my wife this week and I said, can I just read Psalm 22 and then read Matthew 27 and then just say amen and walk away? Like, th there's a part of me that feels like I am, do not feel equipped to speak on behalf of God's word here because I feel like God speaks so clearly through this, but uh, with a lot of wisdom, she said, please don't do that. And so we're going to jump right in because I don't want to spend all day here with you as well. Uh, actually, I, I wouldn't mind it, but I think you'd get annoyed. So we're going to be in Psalm 22. So jump in right there. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to read Psalm 22 here. Um, and then we're going to talk about what specifically God is trying to communicate through this message or through this, this psalm. Um, and so, uh, <clears throat> sorry. As we do this, all right, I want, I want to preface this with this idea. As I read this psalm, your mind's going to start fast-forwarding through the Bible. Uh, your, your mind's going to start going to some pictures that are going to show up later on, some, some hyperlinks or some cross-references. Cross and I would encourage you to pause for a minute and try to think of yourself as if you are an 18, 20, 25-year-old Jewish person who has been taken from their home and is living in a foreign country. And you've begun reading the Psalms and you've read about how you'll be blessed if in the midst of exile, you meditate on God's word and delight in him. You've read Psalm 2 about the promise of God that he promises even in the midst of the chaos that you're going to experience in exile, he will deliver you. But you don't have the full picture of what deliverance is yet. And so I want you to try to stay there because there's going to be a tendency for you to want to move forward. And I promise we will get there. Right? But we have to understand Psalm 22 as it stands before we get there. Does that kind of make sense? All right, so Psalm 22, and I'm going to read, uh, read a section of this. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from my mother's womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. And there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax and it's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. 
for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. We're going to stop there. Because if you're reading this for the first time, and you're trying to understand the emotions that that David is feeling right here, it's pretty sad. I mean, you have this person, you have David, who feels like God has just simply forgotten him. He needs saving, and he cries out to God, and there's no answer. He even says, you know, I know that, that my family has cried out for help in the, in the past, and you've delivered them, but not me. God, why haven't you delivered me? Am I beyond your help? Am I too far gone? Verse 6 says, I'm a worm. A, a worm, which represented like spoiled food. Right back in back in uh, when God was giving out manna to the Israelites and they kept it longer than they should have, right? It spoiled and worms grew out of it. Am I spoiled manna, God? Later on, when when the the house of of Israel refuses to follow God the way God desires, He calls them a worm because of their wickedness. This is what David feels. God, am I spoiled? Am I too far gone? I, I cry out to you and you don't answer me. Those look at me and they laugh. Where's your God now, David? Where's your God now, Israel? Your, your so-called powerful God got conquered by the Babylonians. Your so-called God got conquered by fill in the blank over and over and over again. I mean, they're in the midst of capture. Where is God? Maybe, maybe you've been there before. And, and maybe you haven't. But when you cry out for help and no one answers, it's a scary place to be. You know, it's not just that God isn't responding, but I think David's even concerned God's not even there. You know, if we're honest with ourselves, this is the place every human being at some point in their life will find themselves. When we recognize the distance between a human in their sin and the God of the universe that provides redemption, we recognize there is nothing in myself that I can do to bridge this gap. We all have this sin inside of us of some kind. Maybe it's some kind of addiction. Maybe it's some kind of sin that keeps plaguing you over and over again. And and maybe you've qualified it by just saying, you know what, it's not as bad as something else. Or, or maybe, maybe you can look at the sin that keeps lurking. It keeps coming. And every time it keeps coming and you try to push it away, it keeps coming back. And you feel like there's just going to be a moment where you're not strong enough to say no. 
You see, that sin has a dramatic effect on you and I. The fact that we would question if God is close is a sign that our sin has separated us from our God. The mere question, God, are you listening, is a sign that the sin inside of our heart feels like we're separated from him. And if it's not the sin inside of you, it's the sin of those around you. The hurt and the pain and the brokenness that's caused, not because you initiated it, but because someone to you. No. If we look around at our world, it would be easy for us to ask the question, God, where are you? Like, we keep crying out for answers and nothing. We, we see cycles of oppression and poverty and abuse and sin, and it surrounds us. And no matter how much we become aware of these cycles of oppression and sin in our lives, no matter how much technology we develop, it still tears us apart. And so much like David... Or much like the Israelites, you cry out to God when you see the brokenness of the sin and you say, God, will you do something? Maybe you said these words, God, be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Maybe David felt this when he's running for his life because God had anointed him king over Israel and yet Saul was still the king. And so Saul's trying to kill him and he's running for his life. Maybe he felt this way when his own son had a military coup and took over the kingdom and he's running for his life away from his own flesh and blood. Maybe a nation feels this as they watch their brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers get brutally killed and carted off to the far reaches of an empire. Maybe you felt this. Maybe this is where you are right now. That I've cried out to God. I don't hear an answer. So what do we do with the brokenness that we feel inside of us? Well, we try to fill it. We fill it with stuff. Right? We're, we're good Americans. So we just keep buying thing after thing after thing, hoping that the next thing is going to make me happy. Or we turn to some type of vice like alcohol or drugs or things you look at on the internet. You fill your life with all these things to distract you from the brokenness that you feel inside because if you really have to deal with it, you fall into the same place where you find King David. Maybe you cover it up with religion. Maybe you go through the motions. If I give God my money, if I serve in the church, if I act like I have it all together, then somehow God will just be like, yeah, we're even. But in all reality, would we say things like, feel God's presence, know God is close, that idea is a foreign concept to you. Because if instead of replacing your brokenness with the good news of the gospel, you've replaced it with religion, and you may have missed God altogether. Maybe you're here, and you say, be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Why are you so far from saving me? Or saying from the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by all mankind and despised by people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb, you've been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths like a ravening and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water. My bones are all out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of wild oxen. Do you feel the hopelessness that David feels? God could do something, but he's not doing anything. Why, even though we know who God is, do we feel like God has forgotten us and we feel forsaken? My God, my God, why have you forsaken us? So I want you to turn over to Matthew 27. To the gospel writer, Matthew has been making this case that this figure Jesus is the anointed one that was spoken of back in Psalm 2. That he is the Messiah, the Messiah. And he's been making the case that Jesus has come to return all of the world from exile back into the kingdom of God. And yet in chapter 27, we find him standing before Israel in Jerusalem before a foreign political figure, bound, beaten, and destined for death. 27, 27 says this. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him. They stripped him and put on a scarlet robe on him, twisting together a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and they took the reed and struck him on the head. When they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. When they came to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. When he tasted, he would not drink it. When they crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. They sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. The two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. 
If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. And also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him saying, he saved others. He can't even save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires for him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks were split, the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And the centurion, those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place. They were filled with awe and said, truly this was the Son of God. Did you hear all the similarities between these two verses? Did you hear all the things that, that continued to be repeated in these two chapters? You know, I know many of you are engineers or you're married to engineers or you live in this area of Houston and so you're engineerish. So I made a chart for you. All right, because I figured engineers need charts. All right, and, and I think we got it up here. So on the left... You have Psalm 22, and on the right, you have Matthew uh, 27. And you have the similarities between the words that are used over and over again. And I could spend the rest of my sermon talking about every single one of these. But here's what I want you to hear. God hears the cries of his people and responds. That, that David can cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God responds. And he doesn't just haphazardly respond with a piece of deliverance. He doesn't get us out of a hole so we can find ourselves back in another hole. He doesn't just react to these situations. He carefully plans and executes so that his response would be clear and full and purposed and final. And he doesn't respond with simply judgment when he could. He responds with his character of a God, of a God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God doesn't just ignore the problem facing humanity, He takes it upon Himself, and He conquers sin and death through His Son. Now, some well-meaning preachers have used this Matthew verse to preach that God had turned his back on Jesus. I think something very different is actually going on here. I believe that Jesus is beginning Psalm 22 to remind us that God has not forsaken us. 
He's beginning the psalm, hoping that you're a, a good Jewish person who remembers Psalm 22. And so as you begin to read through Psalm 22, you are looking at the picture Psalm 22 represents at a person with his arms pierced and his feet pierced and his clothes being gambled. His mouth is stuck to its side. People are laughing at him and saying, why don't you, uh, who call on God, let God deliver you. And Jesus begins the poem hoping we will finish it. So we go back to Psalm 22. See, in verse 22, it takes a turn. And we go from hopelessness to hope. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He's not cast you out of his presence. He has not deemed you unholy. He has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied, and those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. Before him shall bow down all who go down to the dust, even the ones who could not keep himself alive. Posterity or descendants and generation after generation after generation will serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. You see, this psalm makes a turn here because David understands that even though he doesn't know what deliverance looks like, he believes God will bring it anyway. That even though he doesn't know who the Messiah is going to be and how redemption will come, he believes in a God who is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and graciousness, who will continue to hold us accountable for our sin, but instead of putting it on us where we deserve it, he places it upon Jesus. And by his wounds, you and I are healed. And so David's gonna declare God's faithfulness even though he's not fully delivered. God has not despised or made unclean the affliction of the afflicted, the sin that reigns in our hearts. He has not hidden from us or our sin, but he's heard us when we've cried out to him. He sees your brokenness. And even when you're not crying out to him, he hears the cries of his people. (coughs) He hears you. So we take this message that God hears us. And not only does he hear us, he responds with a final end to sin and its oppression to our world. And we take it to the ends of the earth because every human being on the planet that has ever existed or will ever existed falls into the same category as people who need a savior. 
and that sin that plagues all of humanity, the families of the nations, are going to bow to a true king. Not the king of Babylon, not the king of Israel, not, not a president or prime minister or czar or emperor, but King Jesus. And he's not on a throne of gold, but he's on a throne that is a cross. And in this moment, his hands are pierced, his feet are pierced, and he becomes the savior of the world. I don't know where you walked in here today. I don't know where you walked in spiritually. I don't know if you needed to hear that God is hearing your cries for help and he has responded. You may need to hear today that God hears you and he sees you. He sent his son to make sure you can find redemption. You may need to hear that everything that you're running to, to fill that gigantic hole inside of you that's caused by sin is failing. And you need to pause and cry out to God. And maybe it's not your own sins. Maybe it's the sins of others. But nonetheless, that sin can be healed by a God who hears you. So maybe this morning, you need to step up and confess that you've put your trust in many other things and they failed you. Maybe today you need to surrender your life and your will to the true king who back in Psalm 22 communicated a plan that happened thousand years later. A God of purpose and a God who doesn't put a Band-Aid on an open wound, but he does heart surgery to people who need it. Sin doesn't have to rule over you anymore. So maybe today you need to respond, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, as Romans says. And maybe today you need to stand up You need to confess these things. You need to be buried in baptism with him and raised to new life with him. And we're gonna get to witness that in a few minutes. We're gonna get to witness uh, three uh, young ones who have decided to bury their life with the Messiah and be raised to new life. But if you're out there and you need to make that decision, you need to decide that today. That there is a God who has heard your cries. And maybe you've made that decision, but for most of your life, you've kind of kept it to yourself. Right? You look out at the world and you look at the world with fear as if sin has any power over Jesus. And you need to be reminded of what Psalm 22 says, that all the ends of the earth, all of them shall remember and turn to the Lord and all families of the nations shall worship you for kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Your descendants and your generations, posterity shall serve him and it shall be told of the Lord to the coming generations that they shall proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Amen? Amen. God, we love when we get to see the 
complexity of a plan that is perfectly executed. We get to see that plan become the most significant thing that has ever happened in human history. That is the God of the universe stepped out of heaven to live among us, to walk among us, to live the life we couldn't live and we crucified him for it. And through that death, brought redemption to me. So God, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit rises up in the hearts of those who need to make that commitment today. That we understand that there are so many different places in our lives and in our world that try to fill in the gap that only you can fill. So God, I pray for a response to your good news today. That in the hearts of many, eternity will be transformed for them. And God, I pray as we leave here and as we go into our jobs, into our lives, that we would speak boldly that there is a God who has heard the cries of his people and responded. We pray these things in your name. Amen.